Let's get this shit started. Let's get this show on the road so we can get on the road. Uh, yes. Thank you for dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interpretive you dance. You were in it. You it were was like, in it. I always am All right. you. Aww. Aww. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. That's Deanna. That's Hannah. <gasps> Thanks for introducing me. What's thanks our podcast about? Thanks for introducing about? me. We do a podcast about women throughout history up till today. Yeah. Not in the future because that hasn't happened yet. But we'll talk about people up to like yesterday. I mean, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is someone that we'll probably do multiple times on this podcast. We'll, we'll definitely be talking about her. She's just on the cover of Time. Yes, she was. Yeah. 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 She just talks some real sense. She's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I love her. Um, don't mind the noises that you may or may not hear coming from my window. We need to keep the window open because it's nice and warm in here. <laughs> and, and this is an old building where there's no AC. Yes. So we need some airflow. Um, so, yeah, you might hear some cars here here and there. We don't have a producer to help us mollify. Mollify? Nullify the sound. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Woo! Okay. So, um... I'm going to, really quick before I jump into my lady today. Okay. Jump into your lady. Jump into my lady. I want to talk about um, some deaf women. Because what I realized is that March 15th through April 15th is actually Deaf Heritage Month. Oh, it is? It is. And I didn't realize that until I was kind of like, is there a Heritage Month right now? And I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, there is. Um, and so I, I decided to look up, you know, someone to do today from the deaf community. And there are quite a few really awesome people that I didn't do, but I'm kind of like, I, I want to talk about a few of them a little bit, just, you know, a few sentences. Okie dokie. Because there were some really cool people. I'm and on board for this. I may or may not do um, one or two or three or four of them later on. But for now, I just kind of wanted to give a sense of like, this is, you know, this is a thing. It's a cool thing. When I was in second grade, I was like weirdly obsessed with Helen Keller because I was so inspired by her. Yes. And oh, and yeah. I did a a, a, a a presentation on Anne Sullivan. Oh, is that know. the name of her teacher? The woman, oh. who, the first woman who was actually patient enough? Because I can only imagine if you are blind and deaf, how frustrating the world must be. Because you have no, if you have no education. Mm-hmm. And no, no and, real. And no way like, to communicate your feelings and, and yeah. your experiences. And then there was, this was the first woman who like sat down and figured out a way to teach her. Yep. And hey, lo and behold, she's super smart. Yep. Yep, and we can use that method with other deaf, blind children. For sure. So she was, yeah. Actually, she's probably something, someone we should talk about. Yeah, probably. You know. Um, 
But a few people on this list uh, is, let's see, Teresa de Carta, Cartagena, Cartagena, who is remembered as Spain's first feminist writer. Oh. Which is crazy cool. She was a nun, a Spanish nun in 1453 who, be- who became deaf and as a result wrote a deeply intellectual essay about the solitude that came with her deafness. Oh. And um, basically just went on to become a writer of many different things and obviously a feminist, had a feminist bent to all of her stuff. In the 1400s. In the 1400s. Wow. Um, Charlotte Elizabeth Tona, who was a popular British novelist and poet who published her works as Charlotte Elizabeth in the 1840s at the height of the Industrial Revolution. And she became deaf at the age of 10 and wrote passionately and extensively about women's rights and social issues. Interesting. Today, the intersectionalism. Uh huh. And today she is still considered uh, one of England's most influential writers of her time. Wow. They don't even say most influential female writers, just most influential writers. Um, Ruth Benedict, who I do want to do her at some point, she was the first female leader of anthropology in the United States Hmm. um, in the 1930s, and she held the uh, position of the president of the American Anthropological Association. I love my anthropology classes. Yeah, I thought you would like her. She changed the course of anthropological studies by urging anthropologists to look at both folklores and cultures as one field instead of separate entities. Which makes sense. Yes, which makes perfect sense. But she was the first person to introduce that concept. Awesome. Um, And then this was my personal favorite, and I considered doing her, um, Annie Jump Cannon, who we have talked about a little bit when we... Yeah, that name is super familiar. She was deaf for most of her life. Um, And many believe that her isolation led to her passion for astronomy. She attended Wellesley College in 1922, where she studied mathematics, biology, physics, and astronomy. And at the time of her graduation, photography had just been invented. And she studied it as well, applying it to astronomy and taking photos of the stars. There was no classification system of the stars in the science community, so she developed one. Wait, really? Yes. So her... Right, because we talked about her with Wilhelmina Fleming. That's the one. She developed the Harvard classification scheme. And that's the one we still use today. What? How cool is that? I know. And she was deaf. She was deaf. Um, So that's... uh, There are a couple of others on this list, but I'll stop there. Um, I just thought... I just thought it was really cool. And I had not considered seeking out someone specifically, you know, because they were... A deaf person um but there are so many people who have um contributions to something in history that we don't talk about them in terms of their deafness which i think is is fine but also at the same time i think it's important to know that like there's a lot you can do as a deaf person i think people seem to people look at deafness as a as a handicap in a lot of ways and there are people you mean, now. You mean one that makes you incapable of, of yes. doing things? Yes. Which is ridiculous. Exactly. And I think that there are a lot of people these days who are doing really good work in making it clear that it's not a problem. I mean, you know? it's not. Right. But there are lots of people who wouldn't agree with you or they wouldn't know. It's interesting because there are people who are dumb enough to not know. Yeah, people have to be really stupid. To... Yes. Yeah, I don't know. They do. 
Also, I was right. It was Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan. I'm really proud of myself. That, well that done. I was like, Ann, what? I got it. Like, I got yeah. it. I got it. I did a, a whole fucking presentation on her, which oh. I started by signing. Did you? Second grade. I was really proud. My goodness. But enough about me. <laughs> I know. You don't like the praise, do you? No, it's not that I don't like the praise. I love the praise. I'm that's just what I'm that's you. what I'm concerned about. Is that that's what I'm <laughs> I'm chasing rather than than letting you tell me about a lady. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. I'll tell you about a lady. A deaf lady? A deaf lady. Fuck yes. A deaf lady who... Half of the articles I found about her never once mentioned her deafness, which I found interesting. really interesting. All right. So today I want to tell you about Juliet Gordon Lowe, who... She's the founder of Girl Scouts. She's the founder of Girl Scouts. I lived in Savannah, Georgia for years. I told you you had a <laughs> marginal connection to her. <laughs> I didn't know she was deaf. That's what I'm saying. Most people don't. But I feel like I should have known that because I lived in Savannah and I lived with Michael and uh, one of my former roommates. He was a tour guide at the Juliet Gordon Lowe house. It's you know what? It might have been the Girl Scouts website that didn't mention it. Now that I think about it. She was fucking awesome, except for I'm sure you have a lot more to tell me about her than I knew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She is really interesting. And um, her her deafness came on gradually it was something that was sort of like a result of multiple weird accidents huh yeah so she wasn't born deaf so if most of the articles didn't mention her deafness how did you find out that she was deaf i looked up um i i was looking up specifically like famous specifically deaf deaf women in history and she was on a list through that fascinating yeah and i was like whoa so um so some of my sources are uh girlscouts.org Duh. Obviously. Biography.com, um, Washington Post, um, and that might be it. All sorts of sources. Yeah. Oh, I'm so Post. excited. I know. She was so cool. And she seems like somebody that I feel like you would have gotten along well with. I think so, too. <laughs> um, but from, I, I, I wanted to read this from GirlScouts.org. In 1912, Juliet Gordon Lowe founded Girl Scouts of the USA, an organization that today serves millions of girl members and alumni and reflects the arc of her remarkable life. An ardent believer in the potential of all girls and the importance of fostering their individual growth, character, and self-sufficiency, Julia is credited with establishing and nurturing a global movement that has changed the world. She also happened to be mostly deaf, which I, you know, that's the part that I added, just in case we didn't talk about it before. Um, So yeah, she just... She was 
Awesome. And also, Girl Scouts continues to be a really fucking rad organization. Yes. Like they never had, they've never had any qualms. They immediately were like, trans girls are totally welcome. Mm-hmm. And and if you have a problem with that, then you can leave. Yeah. Which I, I think Boy Scouts doesn't have that same. Not yet. Boy Scouts is a little more rigid in how they're doing things, how they do things. I was a Girl Scout. Were you a Girl Scout? No. Oh. Never was. I was very brief for me. I came to it very late. It was like seventh grade. And I was a Girl Scout from like seventh grade to ninth grade, technically, I think. All right. And I think it was mostly just because like a lot of my friends were in it. And one of my good friends in middle school, her her mom was like the troop leader. Okay. So I was always at her house, and then it was like, oh, do you want to join? And I went on some yeah. really cool, like, camping trips in the mountains with my Girl Scout troop, and my mom still has some, like, crafts that I made <laughs> at that time. Did you get badges? Did you get any badges? I don't remember. I, de- I think I did. I definitely had a vest. But, of course, it was only three years, so I didn't really get that many. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Because you get badges for, like, being good at certain things. It's like you right? have to complete, um, like, a series of, of tasks to, to achieve a certain badge. And I made this sculpture. It was like a we baked them of this particular clay. And my mom loves it so much. I think it looks so rinky-dink. But when I think about <laughs> the fact that I was, like, 13 when I made it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But it's this, like, little girl. With red curly hair, like you twist the clay and it looks like wavy curls. Look at you. Like ringlets. And she has a red dress on and she has legs that move. And my mom just has her sitting in her art studio still. Like, that is so sweet. I remember feeling so unproud of it because it looked nothing like, you know, the example oh. in the books. I know. But I was, but now I look at it and I'm like, it's so cute. Hey, I have a pattern of always being mean to myself and highly critical. Look at that. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that that's. <laughs> okay. Um, so all right. I was a Girl Scout. You were a Girl Scout. Juliet Gordon Lowe was born in 1860. So just prior to the end of the Civil War mm-hmm. in Savannah. Yep. Yeah. So she, um, she was born to a family that had very conflicting views on slavery oddly enough like her she she was born on a plantation cotton plantation they owned slaves but her mother was an abolitionist mm-hmm. and her father believed in the secession of the south fascinating how weird is that and so he like contributed to that cause he was constantly gone either recruiting soldiers or doing whatever it was he thought he could do for the war effort the confederate war effort Mm -hmm. while at home she was with her mother getting you know flack from their neighbors for being northerners her mom was originally from the north and yeah that makes sense then yes um so they got a lot of flack for being anti-slavery and yeah and and savannah they don't like to talk about it but uh, except for when you go on ghost tours and shit but the savannah river is like a huge um trade uh hub ah and so even now they they had they dug out the river to make it deeper so like giant giant ships come through this like river that's not that big, oh. full of like cars and stuff, like industrial ships with with things. But Savannah made a lot of money in the slave trade. Yeah, and there's a lot of dead bodies buried everywhere under old Savannah. Oh, and oh. most of them are related to the slave trade. That makes a lot of sense. Uh huh. That's a story for another day that I want to hear. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So you get you get why it was such a weird time 
for them. And she grew up with these very conflicting, <coughs> you know, conflicting ideals being yeah. thrown at her. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, after the Civil War ended, they were in, like, they were in Savannah at a bad time to be, you know, abolitionists and uh, whatever right. else in Savannah. So they one of the union generals i can't remember who it was i forgot to write it down one of the union generals helped them get out of savannah and escorted them to chicago wow. where her mother was from i think yes her mother was from and that's where her grandparents were her grandparents had made a ton of money uh after some savvy investments they invested in like copper and some railroads and hmm. you know good shit so they were very wealthy and she was exposed to a very different lifestyle in chicago chicago and, you know, the slaughterhouse city Ooh, is that what it's called well it's not what it's called but that's how chicago became a, a place it was like where they built up all the slaughterhouses i did not know that mm-hmm. boo also, it was very difficult to build on because the river made the soil very uh, wet underneath, so buildings started to sink. Man, we love to build in places that it's really hard to build in, don't we? Yeah. Yuck. I learned that from Devil in the White City. I, I feel oh. like I'm contributing a lot of random facts to this. God, and I've read that book. I should probably know it, but it's fine. Um, so she she was like, her family was going to parties. They had a little bit more money than you know she was used to seeing. Uh-huh. She was exposed to a lot of art. Um, and she had a lot of empathy for other people and a very unconventional outlook on life from an early age, in part, I think, because both of her parents, they gave her, um... It's a liberal conspiracy, education and art. Brainwashing. <laughs> yeah. Well, her, her dad probably was like, ah! But, um, But he was still in Savannah? No, he got out with them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, after it, being in the South at that time was, like, maybe not. Well, and Savannah, I'm sure, after the Civil War, since Savannah did make a lot of its money as a city through slave trading, uh, it was, like, like a, a much different but similar comparison that jumps to mind with me is, like, these coal mining towns. That's, like, now that renewable energy is, you know, when slaving, like, slaving was outlawed or sl- slaving, slavery. Slaving. That, that's a word. Yeah. But when it was outlawed and, and became, you know, it's like, well, that's our main staple. Although, of course, it was insanely unethical. Although I think you can make the argument that uh, fossil fuels are unethical. I think you can. Not as unethical as slavery, but. Unethical for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like these people are clinging to their old, because it's what they know. Yeah. Yep. And now have to figure it out. And it's like, well, we should probably get out. Yeah. That's why they needed help getting like kind of smuggled out. And because her mom was originally from a more northern area and had union views, they got they had some sympathy from the generals and got out. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting. So, yeah. So she had a lot of empathy for others, an unconventional outlook on life, I think, because her parents gave her two different views on on life and how you do things and that made her a bit more of an independent thinker imagine you know yeah um her siblings often commented on her inability to keep track of time her frequent quote experiments that went awry which i do not know what that that's referring to because i couldn't find any information on her experiments but i am assuming like pranks or you know some shit like that um, and acts of kindness that resulted in good-natured disasters. Good-natured disasters. Uh-huh. 
Her antics earned her the new nickname, Crazy Daisy. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Giving her a reputation for eccentricity that would stick with her through adulthood. So she was taught the typical social graces of a highborn lady. She excelled in drawing, piano, and speech, but she really what she wanted to do was hike and play tennis and ride horses and explore and like do all this outdoorsy shit that she really wasn't allowed to do because she was going to these very restrictive finishing schools and they were like, no, you must. Ladies don't do that. Learn how to be a lady. Paint this beautifully and then we will talk. Maybe not. You paint the outdoors. (laughs) You don't traipse around in it. Why are we British? I don't know, but I liked that. We paint the outdoors. Um, So she was very defiant and, uh, you know, frequently caught breaking the rules. Love it. As you do. Yep. And by the age of 19, she, her parents were kind of like, all right, it's time for you to stay home and be a dutiful daughter until you can get married and find a husband to be dutiful toward. Her sister had passed away a few years before. Her mom was having a hard time, like, maintaining the household. And I mean, that I get that. You know, yeah. And they were like, all right, <laughs> it's time for you to, you know, come back and be be with your family. She finally convinced her family, though, that she should instead move to New York and study painting. One of the few pastimes that she enjoyed that was actually considered appropriate for women of her era. And she believed that she might be able to turn her painting into a means of financial support and self-sufficiency. Interesting. Which was very appealing to her. Yeah. So, you know, she was a very independent spirit and was like, how can I do this thing that everyone says is appropriate for me to do and still use it in a way that means just I- to find her niche of like ways that fulfill her, but also allow her the independence that she craves. Yes. Yep. Um, and it was somewhere during this time that she got an ear infection in one ear that left her partially deaf. Oh. And over the course of her life, she would just lose most of her hearing in that ear whoa so that was one ear um and i don't know i don't know exactly when that happened but i do think it was during her school years um and also during this time while she was in new york she met a wealthy cotton merchant named william mckay lowe and fell madly in love with him like you do like you do she she considered him to be her one true love pretty much for her entire life um and they met a couple times and finally got married in 1886 on december 21 and it kind of seems like it was a little one-sided which is really sad i know it just breaks my heart to think that she convinced him to marry her in a way and she really loved him but he wasn't super interested in her but it's what happened how do we know that well there are some indications later on oh um this is crazy though during their ceremony a grain of rice from people throwing rice got lodged in her other ear oh my god Uh uh-huh Got lodged in her other ear, and the pain of the impacted <laughs> rice became so great that the couple was forced to return home after their, like, during their honeymoon to have it removed. And this was in... How did it get all the way in there? It got... It felt... I don't know. Like, her ear was maybe tilted at just the right way. And, you know, like, when you see people doing that in movies, they're, like, const- they're throwing this rice. You know what I mean? Maybe it was really violent. Maybe someone was just, like, throwing rice really violently at her. 
I don't know. <laughs> Which that probably doesn't feel good. No. So she got this piece of rice stuck in her ear. And to get it out, it it's not sci- very scientific. They didn't really know what they were doing in ears in the late 1800s, you right, know? Right, So it left her mostly deaf getting that piece of rice out. Wow. So she lost most of her hearing, if not all of it, in that other ear. <coughs> Crazy. What a freak accident. I know. It was so weird. On the happiest day of your life here. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that kind of sets the tone for, for the her, marriage. for the marriage. Like, oh. it's just not a, it didn't start, it didn't start. Fortuitously. Fortuitously. <laughs> um but from there, once they got married, they moved to England. They bought an estate. They had a couple of different houses where they stayed during, like, the social season. And then they had a place in Scotland where they stayed during the hunting season. Like um, you do. As you do. Which kind of, I think, sucks because w- her husband was kind of embarrassed by her. Like, she was Why? a little because awkward. she was deaf? She was a little awkward as a person. She was just kind of silly. She was also deaf, which I'm sure makes social situations harder. In that time, especially. In that time. Um, you know, and I don't know what there really was in the way of ASL. I have no idea when any of that came into existence. Um, so I don't really know, like, what methods of communication she had other than lip reading and... You know, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. So he spent a lot of time away, away from her. He would, you know, go. This is s- while they were living in England. Mm-hmm. He would go st- spend time in one of his other, one of their other places. He'd go spend time in Scotland. Um, and she had growing health problems. She had ovarian abscesses. Oh. And her hearing, yeah, her hearing was like constantly a problem for her, like infections and stuff like that. Wow. And on top of it all, she was depressed. Like, she was dealing with a lot of depression, too. And even so, she kept herself busy. She um, painted, of course, because that was something she still loved to do. (coughs) She learned how to work with wood. And she even learned metalworking. She actually forged the iron gates that stood at their house. No kidding. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I thought that was like, all right, yeah, that's a good pastime, learning how to metalwork. Um, Why not? Yeah. She also kept up charitable work and joined a nursing association to help feed and clothe local impoverished families. That's nice. Dude, yeah. She was just, she was very empathic. She cared a lot about people. She wanted to be active. She loved her husband. She loved her fucking shitty husband. Ugh. I know. It makes me sad. Um, by 1901... Juliet slash Crazy Daisy uh, became aware that her husband had taken on a mistress. Yay! Yeah. An actress named Anna Bateman. So um, her husband wanted a divorce to marry this actress, but he died of a seizure during a trip with said mistress. Well, karma is a bitch. I mean, yes, except for that Daisy discovered after that that her husband had amended his will (gasps) already, leaving the bulk. Yes, he left the bulk of his fortune to his mistress. How is that legal? How can you do that? She had to contest the will. Um, and she eventually did negotiate a, cent- a settlement um, with the help of his family because they were like, that's fucked up. Especially because you know that in doing that, you're basically leaving your widow 
with nothing because women had to rely on fucking men for money. Yep. Your widow who ha- already has health problems. So she she contested the will. She eventually was provided with an annual income through what she won from the will. Okay, good. Um, and she was awarded the Savannah Lafayette Ward Estate, which I must have been one of his. Um, so after he died, she was really sad, obviously. She had loved him, even if he didn't love her. They had no children. Mm-hmm. She didn't know what to do with the rest of her life. She traveled for a long time, about 10 years. Like, she spent 10 years Whoa. kind of, you know, trying to decide what to do. She went to Egypt. She went to Spain. Like, she Whoa. went all over the place. Yeah. Kind of discovering herself a little bit. How old was she bit. when he died? Um, let's see. She was born in 1860, and it was 1901. All right. So, so she was 41. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she didn't start the Girl Scouts until she was, like, in her 50s. Awesome. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So um, in 1911, she was back in England and one day happened to be seated at a luncheon next to a charming man um, named Sir Robert Baden-Powell. Okay. Whom everyone called BP. And he had founded the Boy Scouts just a few years earlier. Oh. And he had a problem. Girls, thousands of them, we're trying to join the Boy Scouts. <laughs> they showed up at a big rally with homemade uniforms. Um, Aww, uh, oh, I love girls. They showed up at a big rally with homemade uniforms and uh, signed in with their initials as if they were boys. They signed into the, you know, into the Boy Scouts. They were like, oh, I'm just AP. But, you know, really, they were girls. And so they weren't allowed in. So he wanted there to be a group for girls, too, but he needed help running it. He started up a group that he called the Girl Guides. And Daisy, who was obviously interested, agreed to run it. And so she ran the Girl Guides in England for a little while and was like, this is awesome. I'm going to bring this to the United States. Yay! So when she returned to Georgia, Daisy phoned her cousin and said, come right over. I've she got something. She phoned her cousin. She phoned her cousin. Come right over. I've got something for the girls of Savannah and all of America and all the world, and we're going to start it tonight. First, Perfect. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I'm fucking in it. The first Girl Scouts got to know Daisy personally, and they thought of her as quirky, funny, a fairy godmother type of person who would stand oh. on her head at meetings. What? And tell spooky in stories. Uh huh. And tell spooky stories around the campfire. Isn't that sweet? She uh, she liked to ask the girls what they thought and what they wanted to do, rather than telling them. Aww. It's like, it's just ugh. She was the best. From the beginning, Daisy wanted the Girl Scouts to be inclusive, meaning that it would be open to girls of any race, background, or financial situation. Oh. Mm hmm. The girls would be That's encouraged. That's awesome. Yeah. She, well, and her, you know, she had grown up during the Civil War, which is, I think, makes it even more awesome because growing up in Savannah during the Civil War, you could come away with very different views. Very different views. So the girls were also encouraged to be independent, to make their own choices, and to develop their talents and skills, which is obviously where badges come from. Aha. Uh huh. They would be challenged to learn new things, and Daisy thought it was very important for the girls to spend time outdoors. So camping, swimming, and playing sports, even like male-oriented sports, quote-unquote, like basketball, 
were early activities. Wow. I know. Which is so great because she spent so much of her childhood being told, those aren't ladylike. You shouldn't do that. And then she finally. And she's making it okay for little girls from all backgrounds to enjoy it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Some of the first Girl Scout badges show that the girls also worked on learning first aid, cooking, map reading, and knot tying. Nice. Mm-hmm. Badges were created to show that a girl was proficient in a skill or a subject, meaning she had learned a lot about it and became good at it. Um, and badges, which there are 136 of them now, apparently, Oof. were then sewn on or ironed on to a Girl Scout's uniform. Yep. So... Um, Around 1917, which this is crazy, the girls started selling cookies. That early? They've been selling Girl Scout cookies for a hundred years. What? Can you believe that? I I read that number and I was like, what on earth? And it was it was because it was important to her that the girls know how money is earned. It was a life lesson. It was like it was it was a fundraiser, of course, and, you know, for the troops and for the whole organization. But it was about like teaching them a life skill. Wow. I know. So good. So good. Also, I love this so much. She was known to exaggerate her deafness when she pretended not to hear friends who tried to beg off of commitments to work for the Girl Scouts. She's like, what? I'm sorry. You don't want to work for Girl Scouts? I can't hear you. What? I'm sorry. You. You are able to come Tuesday? Awesome. No, I'm not. See you Tuesday. See you then. Bye. <laughs> um, when attending a fashionable luncheon, she would trim her hat with carrots and parsley, exclaiming to guests, oh, is my trimming sad? I can't afford to have this hat done over. I have to save all my money for my Girl Scouts. You know about the Scouts, don't you? Sneaky, 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 sneaky. And I love that she was not afraid to be just totally silly in yeah. front of in front of high society folks. Kind of seems like she's always been that way. She's always been that way. Crazy Daisy. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yep. So, yeah, she poured everything she had into the Girl Scouts starting in like 1911, I think, is really when it took off. And in 1923... She discovered she had breast cancer. I know. And she kept the diagnosis a secret, instead continuing to work toward making the Girl Scouts into an internationally renowned organization. So she didn't want anyone to worry about her. She didn't want them to divert many funds or whatever. Like, it was her most important mission in life was making sure that the Girl Scouts were successful. (laughs) I know. Doesn't that just make you like, oh, God. So she died uh, from the final stages of cancer in 1927, and she was buried in her Girl Scout uniform. Oh, God. Oh, I know. In Laurel Grove Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia. Um, Her friends honored her efforts by establishing the Juliet Lowe World Friendship Fund to finance international projects for Girl Scouts and Girl Guides. Yep. Is it still called the Girl Guides in, in the UK? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she started two organizations, yes. basically. Yep, exactly. So she has received an array of posthumous honors for her creation of the Girl Scouts, including the issuing of a commemorative postage stamp in 1948. Cool. And induction into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1979. Nice. And 
Crazy enough, in 2012, Barack Obama named her a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Oh, Obama. I know. So just as Daisy discovered herself by founding the Girl Scouts, she helped the girls develop into stronger young women. <laughs> <laughs> and since that first meeting in Georgia, 50 million girls have become Girl Scouts. Myself included. Yourself included. Aww. And that was See, Juliet Lowe. I never went to her. It's a museum. Her childhood yes. home is a museum. The Girl Scouts bought it back. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Juliet Gordon Lowe house. Yep. While I was there, there was a lot of work being done to it on the outside. So it was almost always like in scaffolding. Okay. But presumably it's it's all good now. And I think it's like the one place you can buy Girl Scout cookies year round. If you go to the oh. Julia Gordon Lowe house, you can get Girl Scout cookies. That is very tempting. Uh-huh. And oh. there's like a, a, a big piece of land that I think got turned into a neighborhood that used to be uh, hers. Okay, that would make sense. I don't know. Yeah. That's a little further east of town. Yeah. But that's Juliet Lowe slash Crazy Daisy. Slash oh, I love her. The Girl Scout Now I want to go. Now I'm bummed I never went to the museum. Well, we'll go. We'll go. Because I need to go to Savannah. I'm, I want to plan a trip like for one day when I have money. Yeah, um, let's go to Savannah. <laughs> so I do want to do that, especially before it's like underwater in the next, you know, 12 years. Uh, and um right. yeah <laughs> we'll do that woohoo yeah and in the meantime do you want to hear some on this day fuck yeah i in do history yeah of course i didn't write the date on this one but i think it's april 3rd let me just double check april 3rd no yeah april 3rd so on this day in history april 3rd there were, it was kind of like yours. Like, there was a lot of just really depressing shit. Like, a lot of I know. battles. and So there are a few things here I might just skip, but I kept just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, 1868, a Hawaiian surfs on the highest wave ever. A 50-foot tidal wave. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, well, can you do that and not die? But if you're Hawaiian, you can. Uh, surfers are crazy. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. There's, like, this image of this one woman who's a surfer that has like stuck in my brain and it's her running underwater. Mm? She's got like this giant boulder to keep her weighted. Oh my God. Underwater as she like runs through the sand underwater. Ugh. And I'm like, a, a, a what? Hold on. I have to see if I can find it because. You should. That shit terrifies me. Uh-huh. I am not a water person. I, I don't am, like boats. I don't like being underwater. No. I don't like boats. I don't like I don't like being underwater. I don't I it makes me feel very suffocated. Okay, uh 1882, American outlaw Jesse James is killed by Robert Ford at his home in St. Joseph. That was today. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Um let's see. 1917, Alfred, oh this printed weird. Alfred Stieglitz opens the first one-person show of Georgia O'Keeffe's work at 291 Art Gallery in New York. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, 1933, first airplane flight over Mount Everest. Whoa. This one I... we, Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, Hannah? I just... I don't know. I might have to explain it to people, but I don't know. 1936, Bruno Richard Hauptmann is executed in the electric chair for the kidnapping and death of the Lindbergh baby. 
Which was, he was not guilty of that. No. And the Lindbergh baby was like, it was a big sensation at the time. There are plenty of podcasts that go into depth about the the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. There are lots of, yeah. But the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby was a big fucking deal. Made headlines. Yes. 1973, the first portable cell phone call is made. Wait, what? 1973, the first portable cell phone call is made in New York City. What? How fucking weird is that? How big was that phone? I don't I know. know. I bet it was <laughs> I'm sure humongous. it was like a huge contraption. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was just gigantic. Uh, 1996, Theodore John Kaczynski is... Am I saying that right? Kaczynski is arrested by the FBI, accused of being the Unabomber. The elusive terrorist blamed for 16 mail bombs that killed three people and injured 23 during an 18-year period. Yeah, he was pretty crazy. Psychotic. Um, okay, last ones. I didn't do any deaths, but today, uh, Marlon Brando and Eddie Murphy were born. I didn't Rips write down the years. happy birthday. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Exactly. And those were some good on this days. You 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 said you had nothing that wasn't depressing, but you had some cool ones. Well, I didn't write down any of the depressing ones. Yeah, I, all of mine <laughs> last week were depressing. I just wrote down the weird ones because that was the it was either depressing or weird. So for cell phone call, come on, what the fuck? Like that's that's bananas. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what are you excited about? Simple. I'm excited to have a vacation. Have a vacation. Yeah, you are leaving soon. Yeah. A couple weeks. For a couple weeks to do nothing. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Man, yeah, a real vacation is something a lot of us do not know anything about. Yeah. And I'm glad you are <clears throat> and I haven't giving had, yourself I one. haven't had the luxury to have a real vacation in ever. You got to um, do it. But... uh it has been exceptionally hard time at work, like exceptionally stressful, exceptionally um, long hours, just, yeah. just just constant, constant high emotions, high emotions. It's yeah. been, and so I'm in dire need of like a real break, and I'm so excited to yeah. have one. Are you gonna like go to a spa or something? I probably should get like a, I don't know, massage, have a spa day or something. Yeah. You're, are you you're going somewhere or are you just doing a staycation? I'm going somewhere. Good. Good. <laughs> getting out of here. I'm getting out of the city. Yeah. Oh, Going to yeah. try and be in some nature. Uh, nature. <laughs> What's, What's that? that? <laughs> I'm jealous. I like it. Thanks. You deserve it. Thanks. That's a good thing to be excited about. The cat is sniffing my foot. She tickles. Kitty, we will wrap this up for you. Because for your you sake and your up. sake alone. He wants that tinfoil ball. I know. I'll go find you your tinfoil ball. And just let me say goodbye to these people. Okay. Or just jump up on my lap. Um, okay. There okay. You, go. you good? Find us on social media. We are pretty much on every platform under GWBB Podcast. You can email us at gmail.com. Uh, say hi. Leave a review. Yeah. Yeah. Subscribe if you haven't. Yeah, please do. We would love that. Check out our Patreon. Yep. And um, there, you know, there was somebody asking about how to give us a coffee a couple uh, weeks On our ago. Ko-fi? So we do still have a Ko-fi. It is right. ko- K-O-Dash 
ko-fi.com slash podcast. Which that way, if you don't want to um, give a monthly donation on our Patreon, you can do a one-time tip. Mm-hmm. On our Ko-Fi. So mm-hmm. that is that is there. Which might be a better are... option for some people. Yeah. 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 So check us out in all those places and uh, peace out, witches. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah, word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpod podcast.com you can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron good witches bad bitches is powered by moon bounce